What Justify did, winning the Triple Crown, was of course extraordinary. What Catholic Boy is trying to do may be just as extraordinary. A derby win on turf already. Now he's trying for a classic on dirt, the Travers. We'll talk with his trainer and we'll preview the Midsummer Derby as well on this edition of In the Gate. They're in the gates. They're about to move in. They roll silent. And they're off. As they move to the top of the stretch. It's a hit-bombing finish. This is In The Gate, ESPN's Thoroughbred Racing Podcast. My name is Barry Abrams. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. You can also get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. If Jonathan Thomas had a nickel for everyone who said to him as he was growing up, of course you're going to become a successful trainer pretty soon. He'd have enough money to own his horses, not train them. You see, Jonathan Thomas was bred and born at Paul Mellon's Rokeby Stables in Virginia, just like champions Mill Reef, Sea Hero, Fort Marcy, and Key to the Mint. His parents broke horses there, and Thomas's grandfather worked on Paul Mellon's dairy farm, delivering milk and fresh eggs. Thomas was 12 when Sea Hero won the Kentucky Derby and the Travers in 1993. He's 38 now. That seems young, but as you'll hear in a few minutes, what he's done in that time is extraordinary, including regaining the ability to walk after what should have been a life-changing accident. Now, Paul Mellon is still one of only four people ever to own both a Kentucky Derby winner, that race is on dirt, of course, and an Epsom Derby winner, one of the premier turf races in the world, of course. In the spirit of Paul Mellon, Jonathan Thomas's most notable trainee has a grade one derby win on turf this summer, and he's got a reasonable chance to add another one, but this time on dirt. Catholic boy on top, three quarters, 113.38 seconds. Top of the stretch, analyze it, runs alongside of Catholic boy. And these two come to the final furlong together, analyze it on the outside in front. Catholic boy is second, hunting horn, try to come and get them. Analyze it, Catholic boy battling them again today. Analyze it, Catholic boy, and then hunting horn on the outside. Who's it going to be? It's a photo that's going to be a head bobber, maybe Catholic boy. He could have come back. Analyze it was right on the wire with him. Very close to the Belmont Derby Invitational. Catholic Boys' next start will be the Midsummer Derby, the Travers at Saratoga. And we're pleased to be joined by his trainer, Jonathan Thomas, here on In the Gate. Let's start with the horse. He's hit the board in all eight career starts, including the aforementioned Belmont Derby and the Pennine Ridge before that. Even though he's also won on dirt, what made you think about a surface switch after he's had so much success on turf this year? Mainly the fact that it's the last three-year-old race with, you know, that has a lot of merit to it. You know, we're comfortable with a mile and a quarter and draw a line through his Florida Derby, you know, his Remsen form and, you know, even his Sam Davis form from a Ragusan standpoint were very strong. And, you know, you only get these opportunities so often. And at the very least for the horse himself to put him in that kind of rarefied air to be a stallion. And then for the clients, we kind of at least owed it to them to train that way and, you know, see see how things shook out. 
would you have opted for the Travers if Justify had still been in training and shown up here? Well, that's a good question. That made it a little bit more difficult, you know, to run against a horse like him. I mean, certainly, and we've seen this in years past where the attrition rate of the three-year-olds kind of shows itself in the Travers where some new horses kind of show up and, you know, every once in a while they're arrogates and West Coast and sometimes they're, you know, lesser horses. So, you know, this year there's a lot of good horses going in the starting gate, but I don't know that there's, you know, a justify. What about the weather? I mean, how much has all that rain in the Northeast and the way it's affected the turf courses at Saratoga played into your decision to go to dirt and try the Travers? I mean, normally it would play into account, but really the only race for him that's here, you know, other than the Hall of Fame, which would have been a little bit short, is a Saranac, which is a week later. So for us personally, it doesn't have a lot of bearing on the surface change switch, but it's not easy for the other horses that are like, Real turf horses, you know. You know, this podcast here is my hobby. I do it on the side. Producing TV feature stories is my day job. For you, it seems like this independent trainer thing is also a hobby for you. Your day job is developing young horses for Bridlewood Farm, you know, the one owned by Liberty Media Chairman John Malone. How are you able to do both? they both kind of work hand in hand. And to me, this is a recruiting game. You know, I'm, I'm a big sports fan. I, I love football and, you know, baseball. And I, I, I'm always really as interested in the combine and, and kind of the, the fruition of young players. And I think it has a lot of similarities in our business. And I think if you look at Chad and Todd, not only the exceptional horsemen and trainers, but they're phenomenal recruiters. So basically Bridlewood is a, is a platform for, for young horses to kind of bounce out of and, and develop in the, what we hope are top-tier horses. So while it's certainly plenty of work, the two work hand-in-hand. Hand. Well, at least you get paid for both of those things. I mean, this whole podcast thing, well, <laughs> oh, well. <laughs> now, before Bridlewood, you worked for some guy named Todd Pletcher and his father, J.J., and for Christophe Clement and Dale Romans for a little while. Now, Obviously, these guys are tremendous role models, but what kinds of wrinkles are you working into your system to make it your own? That's a good question. Obviously, for me, Todd has kind of set the bar through his tremendous work ethic and, you know, his, his horsemanship. So, you know, he's someone I've always tried to emulate from a just an approach standpoint. You know, he's a hard guy to ravel. You know, if something doesn't shake out the right way, he gets up and gives it his best the next day. So that's certainly something that uh, I try to emulate daily. But personally, I feel like I might do a little bit better myself with a slightly lesser group of horses, at least from a numerical standpoint, because I really enjoy being hands-on. So I don't know that I'm someone who's going to have 200 horses down the road. I'm certainly not going to say no to it if it happened the right way. But uh, right now, I think I just really enjoy kind of the development of horses and then training the good ones as they come through the pipeline. Now, we had trainer Rodolphe Brisset with us uh, earlier this year, and he said he gets up on all of his horses and gallop them. And we'll talk about some of your uh, past history being atop a horse, but do you get on yours and work them too? I don't. And mainly just because we're fortunate where we do have the numbers where it just wouldn't be fair to every horse if I didn't give them kind of my undivided attention every day. And that is a hard thing to do when you ride. Some people are able to do it very well. 
in Rudolph's case, he's an excellent rider. So I feel like he is actually giving his horses an advantage because of his ability level. I don't know that my riding ability is really going to make the difference in a horse. So I delegate that to people who are better than myself. Well, I also do voiceover on the side, and one of the first things you're taught is to admit not only what you do well, but what you don't do well, which is not something most people really like to do, but it's obviously (laughs) serving you pretty well. Now, a full preview of the Travers is just a few minutes away, so don't go anywhere, but we have Jonathan Thomas with us. We're glad to have him. He'll send out Catholic Boy in the Travers. The Pletchers basically hired you away from a pretty lucrative job as an assistant trainer in Saudi Arabia. What is it like to train in Saudi Arabia? It was interesting. I think it kind of harkens back to the uh, you know older days of racing where it truly is a sport there. There's not a, a lot of financial gains through purse money or even through a strong commercial market. So, you know, it literally is the sport of kings there where it's royalty with large farms that breed and then they pit them against each other in race. And it's more for bragging rights than any sort of purse money. So I found it to be very sporting. Actually, I found a lot of them to be very understanding of the animals themselves. I mean, the culture seems to have close contact with horses and, and livestock and that kind of thing. So they, I found them really easy to deal with from that standpoint. It's a beautiful country that's, you know, kind of in an island. So for, for someone like myself who was younger at the time, I, I didn't know that it was the best thing for my future from an investment standpoint. But it was certainly a really interesting stopover in my career. Well, all of this is just amazing to talk about since, and we alluded to it earlier, there was a time back in 2000 where it looked like you wouldn't even be able to walk anymore after a vicious steeplechase riding accident. You were thrown when your mount went down. What was that like? You know, at at the time, it was obviously life-altering. I I think any time a rider gets hurt, you know, it's something that we understand as being an occupational hazard, so it's not anything... You know, I would hold against the the business or or even the horse. Some for me, the hardest part was just the lifestyle change because it was a dream of mine to ride and ride at a high level. And at the time, I was a leading apprentice in the country, and you know, I just just come off winning some great at stakes a few months earlier, and so that my career was really getting underway. So it was more the hardest part of it all was really just such a vicious change in, in lifestyle the physical stuff you're confronted with and you've got to face it one way or the other. But, you know, it's very fortunate where things bounce back over time. Yeah, I would say that's a pretty big lifestyle change when it's seven months before you can feel your legs again. I mean, what was that rehab like? It is, but to me, it was more about not being able to ride or not being able to get up and, and go to the barn and kind of pursue what, you know, drove me. I mean, I've been very lucky since a young age to know what my calling in life is or what I want to do. I've never swayed. I've never earned a penny that wasn't horse related. So, you know, th- those things are hard. The physical things are hard. But, you know, when you're confronted with it, believe it or not, and I think most people who have been in the position would agree, it's really the, the, the change of your lifestyle. Did you think for a time that you wouldn't be able to walk again? There was a few months, I'd say about five months, where it was becoming kind of a stark reality that that was potentially the case. Well, forget earning money. How about you've never taken a breath anywhere that wasn't involved with racing? What was it like growing (laughs) up at Rokeby Farm? It was, I mean, an idyllic place. It was a beautiful farm, um, you know, that was... I would have to think it would be considered horse paradise. I mean, Mr. Mellon himself was a very good horseman and 
had the resources to create a place that was just heaven on earth for anyone who loved, uh, you know, the horses and, and kind of the rural sporting, which goes along with that area of Virginia. I think early on, I, I, I didn't realize exactly what I'd grown up into until I'd grown up and, and, and left and realized how well-respected and well-regarded he was in, in the racing community. So I, I had a picturesque uh, childhood from that standpoint. And, you know, something I'm actually proud of because I've I've been to England and France and Ireland and rode there and then in America. And I had nothing but a good reaction from people when I've mentioned that that's where I grew up. And, you know, I was fortunate enough to kind of get to know him a little bit when I was a youngster. And, you know, it's just a it's kind of a place I'm proud to proud to have grown up. Well, had Catholic Boy stayed on the turf, he might have been running on a turf course name for Paul Mellon. Instead, because he's running on dirt, let's change it this way. What will it be like for you saddling a horse for a grade one race while in the presence of that paddock statue of Sea Hero of Rokeby Stables where you grew up? I mean, it doesn't get any better than racing and trying to win it at Saratoga, let alone doing it in the Travers. Our business is a busy one, and I, I, I think it's rare that you can take a deep breath and step back and kind of realize or recognize the position you, you, you're lucky enough to be in sometimes. But, you know, now that this horse's credentials and we have a grade one behind his belt, this one just seems like something I'm going to enjoy a little bit more because it's it's very uh, rare that you, you can take a live animal into a race like this and, and, and have a lot of confidence in him. So, you know... A, mentally kind of prepare myself to actually try to enjoy it and, and soak it up. And if we're lucky enough to come back again, that's great. But uh, the bottom line is we're here now, so I'm, I'm going to try to enjoy it. And here is Catholic Boy now to take over the lead. Catholic Boy in front as they pass the 316th pole. Catholic Boy with a three-length lead. Then Avery Island. But it's Catholic Boy, and he may have grown up some today. Catholic Boy wins the Remsen under Manny Franco. What needs to happen for Catholic Boy to have a shot to win the Travers? Well, as with any race, I think he needs to break sharp and get out of there. I mean, I, mean, I, I think the pace scenario is going to have something to do with it. I'd like this horse to be more fortly placed in, in this race like we have on the turf. I think he's got speed and he's proven that he's got the ability to carry it over a route of ground. So I really don't want to rob him of uh, you know any sort of forward placement. I don't know if there's anything that's going to kind of run everything off its feet so you know in an ideal scenario i'd like to see us closer in some semblance of a reasonable opening quarter opening half wherever all the horses can just kind of get into a good rhythm and you know hope we get a good trip and obviously see out the the mile and a quarter but that's the thing i have the most confidence in in this horse is that you know the trip is probably his best trip uh the, the mile and a quarter Pace stalking has traditionally been the route to success at Saratoga on the main dirt track, and we certainly wish you the best of luck in doing that, Jonathan Thomas. Thank you so much for a few minutes. No, of course. I appreciate everything you do, and thanks for having me on. We're going to take a short break here on In the Gate, but when we come back, a preview of the Midsummer Derby with our friend Bobby Halt and the bear Chris Felica. So don't go anywhere. Welcome back to the In the Gate podcast. It is a very, as Dale Roman said, eclectic group for the Traverse Stakes this year. No justify, no real headliner that transcends racing. 
But we do have a lot of intrigue, and so to go through the 149th Midsummer Derby, we welcome back our good friend Bobby Halt of the New York Hotlist Handicapping Service. And obviously the headliner here is a Philly taking on the boys. Not a big deal in Europe. They do it all the time. Doesn't happen all the time here, but there's a horse that has a real chance, and that's Wonder Godot. I mean, I have to think with the speed in this race, if she falls behind against these Colts, she has no chance. So what chance do you give her? I think she has a chance to hit the board in this field. I'm not so sure about I think it's, it's a deep field. I'm not sure how many real good horses are in the field, though. But I don't really think she's good enough to beat Good Magic and maybe even Karkowski to win this race. I, I think I can understand why she's here. I, I think the logic of it was if she wants to win the three-year-old championship, she's had to do something like this, beat the boys and in the Travers to get the kind of attention that if maybe she beats a Monomoy girl in the Cotillion or the Breeders' Cup, she might get that award. She she needed something like that. So that's why I'm pretty sure why they're here. They're, they're taking a shot to see if that can happen. I just, you know, personally, I, I really like good magic in this race. I, I think he's, a, he's an exceptional racehorse, and I think she's going to have a tough time with the boys. But, you know, if she gets third, I could see it. I mean, I certainly am not swayed by the fact that she won two legs of the Canadian Triple Crown because, let's face it, Canadian breads are not the same as the Triple Crown horses that we get here in America. So I think she's up against it. I think they're taking a shot. I applaud their sportsmanship in doing it, but certainly I'm not going to really use her very heavily in my wagering. Now, another horse in this race who wasn't on the Triple Crown Trail, he was on a Triple Crown turf trail of sorts, was Catholic Boy, of whom we mentioned earlier here on the show, I am very intrigued by this horse. I think he's just as good on dirt as as he is on turf, but he has an outside post, the 11 post. What chance do you give him? I don't think the post is really going to matter that much. You do have, you've got a long run to the first turn. You're coming out of that chute. It's a long run to the first turn that I I think he'll be okay. He might be a little wide, but I I don't think it's going to be problematic. I think this is a horse. He, He was showing speed on the turf. It'll be interesting to see dirt-wise if he if he's going to be out there on the front or where he's going to be. I, I think I think you can, you can rate this horse, but I think what as you say, this is the the interesting part with this horse is that if he is so very versatile, he is good on the dirt, and and there are some backstories with him. I mean, one of the thing is if you talk to Jonathan Thomas, the trainer, I think if it was up to Jonathan. I think this horse would have been in the Secretariat or the Saranac. I think he wanted to keep him on turf. The majority owner, Bob LaPenta, he really wanted to run in the Travers. The horse belongs. I I think this wasn't a reach by LaPenta. This isn't something that's going to harm the horse. This is like a bucket list race to try to win for Bob because he still still remembers finishing second with the Cliff's Edge back in, I believe, 2004. And Bob, Bob had a very difficult winter he was diagnosed with legionnaire's disease and was really near death here in a connecticut hospital until one of the doctors just kind of said well let me test him for legionnaire's disease his temperature was up near about he said about 105 his heart rate was 180 but this doctor came up with the legionnaire's disease treated it got him healthy bob says he's going to name a one of his horses after the doctor but i think it kind of got bob into a point of where you know what you go through something like that you want to enjoy life I, I think it really meant a lot to Bob to be in in the Travers. And I think the horse belongs. I mean, I, I think if you look at him, you're going to see the Florida Derby and say, well, he didn't run good in the Florida Derby, and that's why he wasn't in 
why he wasn't in the Kentucky Derby. That's why he went to turf. What happened in that race is that, is that Bob said that the horse bled. He bled a little bit in the workout before the Florida Derby, and then he bled during the race. That's why he, he ran that poorly. Not that he didn't like the dirt. He had a legitimate issue. I, I certainly think he, he's one of the horses I know I'm going to use. I, I think he's, he's going to be a big factor in the race. The only real speed in here, confirmed speed, I would have to think is the horse going from the rail trigger warning. I don't know how much speed you're going to get from Meistermind, from King Zachary. And so I'm trying to get an idea of how fast this pace is going to be and how much a horse like Vino Rosso is going to have to do to come from behind. He fell way back in the Belmont Stakes and finished fourth. But, you know, what kind of pace do you think we're talking about? How many horses are going to contest that, including Wonder Godot? You know, with a race like this, Trying to predict that will will definitely turn your hair gray or have you pull your hair out. I'm already gray. That's what I'm in the same boat. And I'll tell you, that's so very hard to predict because, again, a large part of this is going to be what happens at the break. There is 11 horses. If, say, a trigger warning doesn't get out all that fast, these horses then, somebody's loping around on the lead, who's going to take the initiative? It doesn't look like it's going to be a brutal pace. I think it's going to be a very moderate pace unless somebody just decides to, you know, Jock tries to steal it on the front end, which which could sometimes happen in a race like this. Unlikely you do it at this distance, but, you know, sometimes jockeys make decisions based on how the horses come out of the gate. I, I wouldn't anticipate a very fast pace, but yet I think it's going to, because of the mile and a quarter distance, because of the fatigue of the race, still, I think the long shots are not going to be compromised by the pace. I, I think it's a question of how good are they. Uh, Vino Rosso in particular, he, he's a horse who, who could put in good efforts, but from everything you hear from the people around him, he's, a, he's just a, a, a wacky type horse who sometimes just doesn't give his best effort. Like a very, very quirky race in the Jim Dandy, like you say, on the turn, it looked like they were going to have to ease the horse. And then he's closing in the last eighth of a mile. So, you know, I'm not sure what to expect from him. And again, that that's kind of a, the risky type of horse. If you're going to bet a horse like that, you at least want to make sure you're getting a big price uh, where the risk and reward is uh, kind of equal. The risk and reward for me, and it's just a gut feeling here, is Bravazo, one of only two horses to start in all three Triple Crown races. Justify, of course, was the other. Maybe you've heard of him. The coach, Wayne Lucas, this will be his 20th starter in the Midsummer Derby, and he was a good runner-up behind Good Magic and the Haskell. I think he's going to get a good trip here at 12-1. to 1. Uh, You know, I, I'm not a big Bravazo fan, but I will say this. The coach, he's always there. He always, he, You know, his best, his belief is you got to be in it to win it. Uh, Bravazo on his best day can do it. You know, I think if he is that 12 to 1 price, that's inviting. You know, like in the Haskell, he was only maybe 5 to 1. If you're going to get 12 to 1, he might be worth putting in. I, I Can he make up the distance? Can he make up that distance on good magic? I don't see it. I don't think the extra eighth of a mile is going to make that much of a difference. I think the time in the Preakness when Bravazo beat good magic, he only beat good magic because good magic ran with Justify. He, you know, there was talk, oh, he he should have just sat off. Well, he really couldn't because he was inside the horse. But the point was, if he had just sat off Justify, he would have finished second, but no way he would have beat Justify. I thought Good Magic did in that race what he needed to do to try to win the race. Unfortunately, he tired, which is not unexpected because he did face a triple crown winner. But I think that helped 
Bravazzo and Tenfold, whose races in the Preakness, I think, looked better on paper than they actually were because it really was good magic who did the heavy lifting in that race. Well, you might actually, you will be there, and you might actually get to see a few turf races because I think the weather is actually <laughs> going to improve for you. So have a great time and enjoy the Travers. Thank you so much, sir. No problem, Barry. Always a pleasure to be with you. Our thanks to Bobby Halt and Jonathan Thomas. I told the folks in my department here at ESPN, horse racing being nothing they usually view, that I'd bought into a partnership of an unraced two-year-old colt, and the next day he'd be making his debut. I organized a watch party with cupcakes, cookies, and drinks, and arranged to have the TV feed brought in. I'm not the most popular guy among my department colleagues, so standing out like this to me is a sin. But I'm just so proud of our little horse, no matter how he runs. Yet because I put myself so much out there, I felt pressure that the little guy maybe didn't have to win, but at least turn in a showing that was fair. The horse surpassed my expectations. He drew off to win by four, and my colleagues filled our floor with hollers and hoots. I told them not to believe stories that thoroughbred racing is dead, because for them one day, the excitement surely took root. You can get us on our YouTube channel by searching In The Gate Podcast. You can get us on SoundCloud as well. Get us at the iTunes Store or TuneIn.com. You can get us on that little pink podcatcher app on your phone you didn't even know you had. And now you can subscribe to In The Gate in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. For the full In The Gate experience, subscribe now in the Listen tab of the ESPN app. And you can follow me on Twitter at B. Abrams Voice or on Facebook at Barry Abrams Voice. That's In The Gate for this week. I'm Barry Abrams. We'll see you next time.